to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Let us pray. O Lord, you said I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth we thank you for fulfilling your promise. Will you now teach us his purpose for our salvation? Amen. Our study this morning is vastly devoted to matter of eternity, eternal life. My prayer for determination is to be expository that it is Jesus Christ who gives eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. There is no eternity without the Son of God. Our Lord says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I gave them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And the Father and the Son, and I and the Father, I won. This is from John 10, 27 to 30. The Apostle John says, This is a testimony that God gives eternal life, and this, is, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have light, does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is John, 1 John 5, 11 through 12. John further says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know him who is true, and we are in him, who is true, in, in his son Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. I like to repeat this. Jesus Christ is true God and eternal life. This is First John 5, 
20. 1 John 5, uh, 4, 9 also says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that the world might live through him. The Apostle Paul says, In him we live, move, and have our being. For we are indeed his offspring. Acts 17:28. Our law says, This is eternal life. That you know, that you know that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is John 17:3. And our law says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is John 10, 10 to 11. To a Christian, eternal life is everything. Eternal life is all or nothing. This is why in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and following, the apostle Paul charges Timothy saying, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, goodness, Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you are being and about which you made a good confession in the presence of men and witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of laws, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be hardy, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, 
to be rich in good works, to be generous and be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of which that is true life ultimately God that is passed and trusted to you avoid irreverent babel and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge for by professing it some have swerved from true faith grace be with you discharge to timidity is ultimate and ultimately to us all brothers and sisters Grace be with us all. Let us take hold of eternal life to which we are called. Let us fight a fight of faith. Let us hold to eternal life. Let us take hold of that which is true life. Let us love God, the God of eternity. Let us take hold of Jesus Christ. Let us love the gospel. Let us believe in the Son of God. One of the values of Job 2:28 to32 called a Job prophecy. Is it shows how the Lord dispenses his Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There is a distinct, significant difference. The Lord's promise to pour his Spirit on all flesh in the New Testament is the major difference between the Old Covenant of Law and the New Testament covenant of grace. The spirit was rare in the Old Testament. Very few and highly selective were the instances when the spirit of the Lord came on a chosen few. And when it when the spirit came, it came in drops, never a pouring out. So few where the Lord's dispensing of his spirit in the Old Testament that we could attempt to name some of those who receive it. Moses was mightily filled with the spirit of God. The Lord filled Joseph with his spirit to feed Egypt, to feed Israel in Egypt. The Lord filled Bezalel, the craftsman, with his spirit to build the tabernacle. Joshua was filled with the spirit of the Lord to lead Israel into the promised land. The Lord filled Samson and the judges with his spirit to free Israel from their enemies. David, King David, was filled with the spirit of the Lord to rule Israel. 
John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in order that he might go, that he might go before to be the high the prophet of the most high to give knowledge of the salvation of his people by the remission of their sins. These examples show that show when and why the Lord Paul uh, gave his spirit on certain people. In the Old Testament, when the Lord put his Holy Spirit on his chosen ones, they did extraordinary works for the Lord. Therefore, it is believed with absolute certainty that the Lord gave his spirit to do his work. The work of the Lord are extraordinary. They are beyond human capabilities or abilities. Therefore, the Lord gave his spirit to empower people to do extraordinary things. Based on the operation of the law in the Old Testament, the unanimous conclusion among theologians is the prophecy of Joel revealed God's promise to empower his church. Calvin says, there is no doubt that the Lord's outpouring of his spirit on all flesh must be limited to the church. Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is in Acts 1.18. So, when the day of Pentecost has arrived, the apostle Peter preached, saying, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled, and it's unfolding even today. Now, what is the work for which the Lord poured out his spirit? The work of God is one. Yes, the work of God is one. The work of God according to Jesus is to believe in Jesus. In John 6, 28 to 29, the Jews asked Jesus, what must we be doing what must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let us note, the Jews asked Jesus, What are the works of God? But Jesus reduces the plural works to the singular work. This is significant. 
This means that God poured out his Holy Spirit that we believe his only son. This is an extraordinary work. It is above all works. It is the work of works. It is like unto saying, King of kings, Lord of laws. It is the work of works. Hence, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is eternal life. Some Christians call themselves John 3.16 Christians. This is compelling. We now turn our attention to the other side of the prophecy. The prophet Joel did not only prophesy this rare blessings of God, but he also prophesied the dreadful warning. Joel 20, Joel 2, 31, starting from 31 warns, that sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. John Calvin's interpret this language as a metaphor intended to describe the massive destruction that will characterize the day of the Lord. But why such an untold judgment? Why will the sun turn to darkness and the moon to blood? It is because of the rejection of Christ and his gospel. Yes, the rejection of Christ and his gospel by some people is the true, real essence and substance of all sins. It is above all sins. Calvin says, now, if any, if anyone asks, why by the coming of Christ was God wrath more stirred up against men? For this may seem to be without reason. To this I answer, if Christ had been received as he ought to have been, if all embraced him with true reverence, he would have certainly been the giver not only of spiritual grace, but also earth, all earthly happiness, the felicity of all, then who have in every respect been made complete by the coming of Christ. Are not their wickedness and ingratitude candle up anew the wrath of God? And we see what a, found a flood of evils burst forth immediately after the preaching of the gospel. 
because the words in because of the words ingratitude had arrived to its highest point as indeed this this day for the life of the gospel has gone forth again and God has exhibited himself to the world as a father and we see how great is the wickedness and perversity of men and in rejecting the gospel and all the impelled by satanic fury to resist the doctrine of Christ we see them making a boast of their blasphemies and we see them kindled with cruel rage and breathing slaughters against the children of God we see the world full of ungodly men and of despisers of the despisers of God. We see the awful contempt of God's grace prevailing everywhere. We see such an unbridled licentiousness and wickedness that it ought to make us ashamed of ourselves and weary of our lives. Since then, the world is so ungrateful for such a favor. Is it a wonder that God should show more dreadful token of his vengeance? How can it be otherwise? The common people doubtless growing under their miseries. And that because God has punished God does punish the contempt of his grace which he has again offered to us and which is so unworthily rejected inasmuch then as so base and ingratitude on the part of men has provoked God's wrath it is no wonder that the sound of his scourges is everywhere heard. For the servant who knows his law's will and does it not is worthy, as Christ declares, of heavier stripes. Luke 12, 47. And what happens? Through the whole world, is that after God has shown by his gospel, after Christ has everywhere proclaimed reconciliation, they now openly fall away and show that they prefer having God's angry than propitious to them. For, the, for when the gospel is rejected, what else it is but to declare war against God and to scorn and not receive the reconciliation which God is ready to give. Calvin is not alone in this. In his sermon entitled Human Responsibility, Charles Spurgeon says this, the rejection of the gospel aggravates man's sin. Adultery, 
and murder and theft and lie. All these are damning and deathless sins. But repentance can cleanse them, can cleanse all these through the blood of Christ. But to reject Christ destroys a man hopelessly. The murderer, the thief, the drunkard may yet enter the kingdom of heaven if, repenting of his sin, he will lay hold on the cross of Christ. But with these sins, a man is inevitably lost if he believes not the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything lies in the bower of this sin, rejecting the rejecting of Christ. There is murder in this. For the man on the scaffold who rejects Christ, does he not murder himself? There is pride in this. For you reject Christ because your proud heart have turned you away. There is rebellion in this. For we rebel against God when we reject Christ. There is high treason in this. For if you reject a king, you put far away from you him who is crowned king of the earth, and you incur, therefore, the with tears of all guilt. Oh, to think that the Lord Jesus should come down from heaven, to think for a moment that he should hang on upon the tree, that there he should die in agony's extreme. And that from the cross, he should this day look down upon you and say, Come to me, you weary, and you have a living, that you should still turn away from him. It is the unkindest stab of all. What more brutish, what more devilish, than to turn from him who gave his life for you. Oh, that you were wise, that you understood this, that you who consider your latter end, we do not only add a new sin to the catalog of sin, but we aggravate all the rest. Oh, I beseech you, Recall that the sin of unbelief blockings every other sin. It is like Jeroboam. It is said of him, he sinned and made Israel to sin. So unbelief sin sins itself. So unbelief sins itself and leads to every other sin. Unbelief is the fire by which you sharpen the axe and the cutler and the soul which you use in rebellion against the Most High. 
your sins become more exceedingly sinful the more you disbelieve in Christ, the more you know of him, and the more you reject him. If you have rejected the gospel, you shall have sinned far above all other men in casting away Christ. A double measure of the fury of the wrath of God shall fall upon you. Sin then is aggravated by the rejection of Christ. There are degrees of punishment, but the highest degree is given to the man who rejects Christ. To understand Calvin and Spurgeon, we must ask a primary question. Is there a sin that leads to death? Is the rejection of Christ and the gospel that sin that leads to death? The Apostle John writes of the sin that leads to death. In 1 John 5.16, the Apostle says, If you see anyone, if you see your brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. A key text is John 3.36, which says, Whoever believes the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Another important text is John 3.17-18. to God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he, but in order that the world might live or be, be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, God's Son, Jesus Christ, He is true God and eternal life. If you have Him, you have eternal life. If you reject Him and His gospel, you do not have eternal life. First John 2, 23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. The book of Hebrews says, which is actually Hebrews 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Hebrew 12, 25 to 26. We see then, we see that you do uh, see to it, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised Yet once more, I will, sh I will not shake only the earth, but also the heavens. Hebrew concludes this matter this way in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How instructive that we listen to Calvin to understand the source of the wrath of God. How wise that we esteem Spurgeon's interpretation of the consequences of the rejection of Christ and his gospel. First, we must reason that to reject Christ and his gospel is to reject
reject God's plan of salvation or plan of redemption. For following the fall, the Lord said to the serpent, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Therefore, anyone who does not believe in Christ Jesus, the seed of the woman, and reject him and his gospel is at enmity with God. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Matthew 12, 30. What does the Bible say about why some people reject Christ? One reason is in John 3, 19 to 21. Here the law says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So then, some people simply reject Christ and the gospel because the gospel exposes them. The second reason is what Christ talked about about sin and guilt in John 15:22 and following. Here, or here, the law says, excuse me. Here the law says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates the Father also. And if I had not done among them the work that no one else did, they would not be guilty of their sin. But now they have sinned and hated both me and the Father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hate me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So then the second reason 
is that some people hate Christ without a reason. But what is even more crucial is this, what Christ said. Whoever hates me, hates the Father also. Here we see then that to reject Christ is to reject the Father. The third reason is stated by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. He says, Brothers, when I desire and prayer to God for them, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not a calling to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandment shall be saved, but shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In what the apostle says here, we see Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priest to man. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Hence, Romans 9, 30-33. The people of Israel... Who pursue the law as a way of righteousness have not attained have not attained to their goal 
The Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursue a law that will lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes, Israel is zealous for her God. But Israel's zeal is not according to knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He said in Matthew 5:17, I do not or do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In spite of all these wrong reasons and no reasons for rejecting Christ and the gospel, the mind of the apostle must be cultivated by every Christian. Why? For the reasons stated in Romans 11. In Romans 11 and following, one and following, the apostle says, I ask then, had God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. But what did God say? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Lest you be wise in your own eyes. I do not want you to be aware of this misery, brother. A partial hardening has come on Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. And in that way, all of Israel will be saved. This, in fact, is another reason why some people, in this case, Israel rejects Christ. A partial hardening has come on Israel until the fulfillment, until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. 
all true Christians then must pray that all Israel is saved. This is the will of the Father. This is also this also shows that Joel's prophecy is not yet complete and is unfolding today because the Father's will is to save all his children. Finally, let us rejoice. Yes, celebrate the Holy Spirit by reading Romans 8. We read victoriously. We are more than conquerors through Christ who love us. But we preface our reading with a few verses from Genesis 3 and Romans 8. In Genesis 3:15, God said to the serpent, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In verse 17, he says to Adam, Curse is the ground because of you. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, victoriously, let's read Romans 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the, for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though Perhaps for a good person, one who dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is now no condemnation. Actually, I was still reading Romans 5. Now we are in Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of the sin, 
for the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son into the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. And to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if the spirit, but and if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Who dwells in you. So then brothers. We are debtors. Not to the flesh. But according. But according. To the flesh. I read that again. So then brothers. We are debtors. Not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh. You will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time. 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation which with eager learning, yearning, for the creation which with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its, from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pain of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first, who have been the first fruit of the Spirit, growing inwardly, as we wait eagerly, the adoption, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with granted too deep for word. And he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he knew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among men and brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. Who shall condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present in this uh, things present to come, nor things, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray, brothers and sisters. Lord, you want us. You want us back. This is why you sent your son. This is why you sent your spirit. Lord, you want us back. May nothing separate you, separate us from the love of Christ. In his holy name we pray. Amen.